Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast, I feature Guyanese-American multimedia artist Teresa Cremati. Her practice includes painting, digital collage, sculpture, and installation. She has garnered critical and institutional attention for figurative paintings that are shaped by fragmented forms of desire and constant motion. Bursts of complex color, sensuous protrusions, and texture deploy abstraction to explore various contemporary realities of black women. These bodies are at once imaginative, bordering on grotesque, and celebratory as they convey a variety of emotional and spiritual states of being. Teresa was born and raised in Baltimore and attended the Pratt Institute and is now based in New York City. Recently, her work has been on view at the Baltimore Museum of Art, the Perez Art Museum Miami, the Mascow Museum of Modern Art, and she has been featured in the New York Times, Interview Magazine, Juxtapose, and Vogue. Enjoy this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast, and please welcome Teresa Cremati. Welcome, Teresa, to my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. It's great to have you. Yes, it's nice to be here. Um, I'm really looking forward to where we go with the conversation. Great. Let's get started. Well, I want to know, when did you realize that you had this artistic passion? You know, it's a it's a crazy, uh, you know, I want to stop using the word crazy. It, is, it just is what it is. But um, I knew since I could remember, I was five and I took, you know, um, some time off from working creatively as far as, you know, hand to surface in that way. But when I was five, my mom put me in... Um, a class at the Maryland Institute and I had this teacher there named Miss Rastigar and since then every literally every um, every year in school in my art classes I was just like always that was my favorite subject and everyone would just be like could you could you draw mine could you draw mine and the teacher would be like no Teresa you, you have to just do your own and then eventually I went to I transferred to this charter school, which was actually across the street from Micah in Baltimore, um, Midtown Academy. In fourth grade, I went into the school and I realized that Miss Rastigar was the art teacher there. And so it was like this full circle moment. And I was like, I met you when I was five. And now <laughs> and I'm like eight. <laughs> and she really nurtured me. And, you know, um, 
provided me with uh, uh, opportunities to scholarships to take uh, private classes on weekends at the Institute. And my mom um, put me in some private uh, lessons with this woman named Joy of Art. And I would go there every Sunday, maybe I was about 10, and it was so boring, but we would, I would stay with her in her studio, which literally had like no natural light. It was like pitch black. And um, I would like sit with her for three hours, just like drawing from observation. Um, and then, yeah, I pretty much just, I was also doing music at the time and long, long, long story short, I ended up going to performing arts high school. I didn't get accepted for visual art. I got accepted for music. And I was just like, okay, well, I must not be that great <laughs> at that. Um, and then around my senior year, I was over classical music. And I was just like, I have to go back to what I really feel the strongest connection to. And then it started all over again. And, and we're here. Well, that's great. What instrument did you yeah. play? Yeah. I was playing clarinet, uh, B-flat clarinet. So, and you know, you know, now music is finding its way back into my practice and I just want to literally just continue to, to bring all these aspects of my life into, to the forefront now. That's great. So, so do you, are you playing the clarinet now? Or are you practicing? And No, it's just, it's an emotional I am in the space now where I'm starting to entertain the thought of getting a clarinet again, but I definitely, I definitely had to just let it go. So with each show I have um, soundscapes. And so writing is also like a really important aspect of my practice. Like the titles are, you know, the paintings are super intricate and cryptic and the titles just really provide a deeper dive into my mind, into the the viewer's mind into the larger conversation and um so that title making and words in general make its way into the soundscapes that i'm me and my collaborator work on and um it's super ethereal and super cosmic um sometimes they last from like three to ten minutes but there's a lot of dialogue sometimes my my mother will write something and her voice will be recorded and woven throughout um, for my last show, I was just really thinking about duality and the layers of women, which honestly, I'm always thinking about that. But, um, so like the, the idea was that, you know, laughter in proximity to rage and yelling. So within the soundscape, um, there are a lot of actual sounds coming out of my body that mimic that thought process that was that you would see in the actual paintings interesting do you consider yourself an abstract artist i consider myself to be working in figurative abstraction and and when you were young were there any particular artists that influenced you i mean i was aware of various artists when i was young i mean growing up in my um, elementary, middle school, I, my teacher set us at all these different tables that had artists' names. So, you know, one of us were at the Romare Bearden table or the Frida Kahlo table. So it was a, <laughs> it was great. a great way to just like have access to even knowing who certain people were at like an early age. But yeah, there's a lot of people that I do love and, and I'm sure that seeps in. But as far as where I am today, I... I really prioritize my compositions with starting and ending with myself and finding power and 
literally deciphering my own mind because there's a lot happening there. Um, So do you have any childhood memories? Are they reflected in your work? um, Definitely a lot of childhood memories. And the thing about, I think, me personally, it's it's not a start. It doesn't start, uh, stop or or end in one particular way. And I just really feel like the process, I just become, you know, you start a composition and um, where I am right now, I am exploring um, a lot of different motions as I'm painting, but there are certain things that always pop in the, com- in, in the com- composition, like movement is always important that we, we constantly are moving forward, um, even within moments of stillness. Uh, the scrotum flower, which is this motif that pops up within the compositions, um, really represents power and balance for the central figure uh, in the work and her relationship to the idea of power um, and her proximity to it definitely changes with each composition. Um, And there are just these key things that I have to have in, in the work and I wouldn't say it's it's childhood memories or something that just happened yesterday. I don't have the ability to like stop my mind in that way where I'm like, oh, it's this particular thing and this is making it into the work. It's all collective. Um, it's it's all the things that built me up to this space now where where I'm talking about movement, where I'm talking about accessing power, the the strength and the exhaustion of moving forward and picking yourself up and and continue, continuing to, to move on. Um, so clearly, yeah, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's moments of my childhood where those things started to connect right. in year after year. So it's, it's all a continuous thing. So would you say there are concepts or, or certain thoughts that connect your work? Definitely. And yeah, that's what I was starting to speak on. Um, all, all of the work is, is connected. You know, each painting looks different, but if you know what to look for, you find these moments within them, um, certain things start to connect. There's also this idea of there's always a, a woman, a central figure in each composition. What surrounds her or what space that she's in is always changing, um, but the idea is that there's always motion and the motion is always moving forward. Um, and then there's certain things that surround her, like I was saying, the scrotum flower and uh, this idea of balance and power and her proximity to it surrounds her in different ways. And in some, in some paintings, she's literally grasping at the scrotum flower. Um, and in that space, she is in complete control. In other compositions, it's the flowers like floating around her. And in some ways, she's not aware of where she stands in that connection. There's also um, another important aspect. You'll start to discover these eyes, these really intense eyes that are surrounding the central figure. And then they are also accompanied with lips. So it's basically a hidden face. Um, in some paintings, the face is more uh, abstract and other paintings, it's just super straightforward and, you know, <laughs> just like, just literally just staring at you. So that face is meant to represent the, the idea of a woman's intuition. So I see it as this, this ancestor, this, this woman uh, from the past that is also within you that becomes a part of yourself. And a lot of times she is all knowing, she sees everything. So it's these different energies that accompany the central figure on her journey that become a protector 
um, or guide in some ways. I love your um, passion or your motivation and focus Thank on the, the powerful woman. And during an earlier conversation we had, I asked you about your last name because I found your name reads pretty and it sounds pretty. I like it. So let's talk about your last name. Yeah, um, Kramati. So that name uh, is actually a name that I started to use when I was 15. And it's, a, it's actually a family name. It's not the, the name that I was born with. I have my father's last name, as most of us do. But this is a name from my mother's side of the family. And when I was in high school, well, starting in middle school, a lot of my cousins who identify as women started to take this name back and actually legally changing their name back to the original spelling, which is Cromarty. It has an R in it. And I just thought that was so cool. I was like, I've never even heard of this name. <laughs> and, um, and back then, like MySpace was like really popular. And I was just like, okay, I need, I need a name. Like I need something else to go by. And so I asked my mom, I was like, can I use this name for my MySpace? And she was just like, I mean, you can, but I might want to use it. So you have to, you have to change the spelling. So that is the moment when I came up with the spelling, the original spelling is C-R-O-M-A-R-T-I-E, which is also fascinating because, you know, when you start to look up you know, Black people coming from the Carolinas, um, it is a very popular name. Popular, yes, but also not so popular where you can you can start to find a connection. Like, you know, they might be your cousin, which is also like a whole different um, situation. But yeah, so I changed the name to C-H-R-O-M-A-T-I and I've been using that since I was 15 and it really just is, is grown with me and to the point I just, I don't even think about it anymore. Well, I like it a lot. Good, good choice. Good editing. Yeah, you <laughs> good know, editing. thank you. <laughs> Um, so back on the topic of art, how would you define your practice? Yeah, um, I would definitely define the space that I'm exploring is within the, the realms of abstract figuration. Mm-hmm. And how has it changed over the years? I would say hmm, it's changed in so many ways, but I would say the most the thing that I can really hold on to is that the idea of limitation has is just literally not on the table anymore and you know with each piece and year after year I just realized like there are no limitations um I you know years ago I would because I also come from a design background I went to school for went to Pratt for graphic design so clearly (laughs) with that that being at the forefront of my life for a while and me thinking that's what I was going to do, your brain definitely is structured in a particular way where, you know, you're leaning on certain graphic elements to push the composition forward, which I'm so thankful for that. Um, And that that's in me, but I'm also thankful for the space that I eventually got to where I was just like, Oh, if I'm going to paint, let me actually paint. (laughs) Let me not, let me not uh, move forward with paintings that are actually just mimicking what I can do on the computer. That's not the point. So once that really just clicked for me, I was just like, okay, now I can, 
I can layer these colors to really make them pop in certain ways. I can add texture. Um, texture is so important to me now with, with my practice. Um, adding soft sculpture on some of the paintings, using glitter as a, a textural element. Um, so it just, I don't, it just clicked after a while and not just in one, on one day, but there's certain, you know, different epiphanies. And I just think uh, a few years ago was really just like, open yourself up, you know, through the way your hand is actually moving on the surface, but also just mentally, like I would, I was relying, I was still thinking as like a designer, I think, um, before. And once I turned that off, I was just like, oh, I don't have to rely uh, on the composition that I started you know, yesterday, I can, I can trust myself within the process, learn more about myself um, in the middle of the painting. And then eventually you build the painting up to a certain point. It just takes over. And that's the part when I talk to people and they're like, okay, well, how did you get here? The answer is not sure. <laughs> I started, I like, I started it. I, I put in the elements that, that I can speak on, but also at a certain point that the work takes over and then you just become the vessel, the relationship changes. And that's the part that's, you cannot use words to explain that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I live, I live vicariously through you artists, just hearing your stories. <laughs> it's wonderful. So how has COVID impacted your practice? Yeah. Um, this is, I mean, oh God, COVID. <laughs> Um, I've been through so many lives this year. Um, a lot of positive things have happened. Um, a lot of firsts. Uh, I had my first institutional solo, which I'm really happy about. It was hard to get that work to, to just pick myself up to do the work. Um, but also at the same time, if COVID was not here, the, whatever that show was going to be would have looked different. And I don't know how, but I know that I was making the work in real time and those paintings will always be super special to me because it is all connected. Um, I felt like, you know, I would started, I mean, clearly I'm known for using these super bright colors, you know, uh, glitter, texture, but the color black, has started to, you know, be a, a really important color for me within the composition and not in the use of uh, skin tone, which we all have seen and loved in the past um, and, and also still in the present is great. But I have prioritized using the color black to actually rip apart the composition. So, you know, in moments of using these like super ethereal, lighter color palettes and and, and yellows, and then just literally like ripping everything apart with black, to me is just a, a much larger conversation. The idea of light, lightness and, and, and darkness and, and deep thought is all intertwined there. And I, I was already doing that, but this year through COVID, I just feel like it was enhanced and it came up in a slightly, uh, a slightly different way. And I'm really excited for the work that I'm making now and the work that I'm moving into the new year making in that first half of next year, I'm excited to see what, what comes out. When you're creating work, do you think of who your audience is? No. 
Not really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, the audience is going to be whoever the audience is going to be. It's so many, there's so many conversations. There's so many places that the work, there's so many places that the work will be placed. Um, the audience will survive long after the long after I'm not here. Um, I just know that there will be an audience and that's good enough for me. Uh, the work really stops and, and ends as far as my process with my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And there's this, this switch that goes off, you know, when I'm done, I, it is really, I separate emotionally. I don't know. Um, and maybe that'll change in the, the future, but right now I do separate myself. And even when I see it up and installed, it's, it's a different, it's a different feeling. It's like, who made that? You know, <laughs> um, I don't know what that's about, but um, I do, but I, I am aware of, of the options of how, how the audience can react with the work. And also people are vocal with sharing certain things. It is always amazing when, when women specifically contact me um, and when I can be open enough to receive that information. But, you know, being like, you know, I really see myself within this work and within this particular title and it, it helped me through my divorce or whatever. And it becomes overwhelming um, because I do like to separate myself at that point. But also it's, it's amazing to see how, how, how this can, can literally help someone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the audience thing is is an interesting one. I guess I'm still processing that. So how did you feel seeing your outdoor banner that was commissioned by the Delaware Contemporary? Yeah, that was great. Um, Like I was saying earlier, I I felt this for years that, you know, my practice has been growing and all these aspects of my life have been coming into one space. And I feel like with each opportunity for me to to produce a a clear thought, it becomes more immersive. It becomes closer and closer uh, where, I, where, I, where I'm going and where I, what I would like to see. Um, so I felt like the Delaware Contemporary Project was, was great. I needed to see that. I mean, everybody needed to see it, but I needed to see it specifically. Um, just because it's like, by the time you see something as, a, as the audience, the artist is all already like, okay, I am somewhere else mentally uh, thinking about the next thing. But that project for me, because so the facade of the museum had three uh, digital, digitally made banners um, that was centered around the same context as the the paintings. Um, They're about 20 feet, which was just great to see something that large. I think that was necessary, but also realizing that like the role that everything plays like I needed to see like okay I have this this digital work on the outside of the Delaware Contemporary and just historically um the language the digital language presenting in that way and thinking about advertising it's it's accessible we understand that we know how to we know how to approach uh something that is super clear in that way and I just felt like I could still talk about you know, I could still have my central f- my figure, the scrolling flowers, the the ancestral beings, um, 
everything that's important to my composition, but I can also create something that feels clear. Uh, well, I don't want to say clear, but straight to the point. And that there's also space for that. And I realize that, that I do have space for that. And that should, that should be at the forefront of my practice. But it was nice to have that as what you see when you first walk in. And then as you enter the museum, you go into the gallery and then you see the paintings, which do not look like the digital work. Same context, but it's more cryptic. It's, it's meant to be, it's also inside of the space. And to me, it just made me realize I, I feel safer within that space. You know, it, it just felt like a cocoon, like a womb. And this is where I can actually uh, start to decipher and rip, rip apart and expand on what I was building on the outside with the digital work. But now I have the space where I can fully let go and and actually really, you know, create a mindfuck within the intimate space. So it was, and then in the soundscape. So yeah, it was great. I was so happy and I will continue to um, build off of that format. Yeah, it sounds like it was an uh, enjoyable project. Yeah. So great. This has been a great conversation. You're so easy to, to talk to. What What do you feel is your role as an artist? I mean, I feel like my role as an artist is, is many different roles, but for me to to question and to provide various answers, and, and, and the answers can also literally be thrown out, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, some stick and some, and some, and some don't stick, and, and this, just the act of questioning and creating options. Um, questioning and starting conversations or continuing conversations. I just feel like that's what the role is. I'm not here to fix anything. I don't feel like any artist can fix something, but I do feel like you can bring certain things to the forefront. Uh, You can unravel things. You can dust things off, bring them back to the surface. And I think those conversations and literally you, you, you might be the vessel that is actually you know, turning the switch on for a group of people or one person or even yourself. Uh, and in those conversations, as you pass it on to younger generations, that's the, that's the part that really, I do believe, can move things forward. Yeah, when I attended the Prez Museum event in early uh, 2020 and saw your work in person, uh, the one thing I can say about it is it makes you think. You know, yeah. you, you sit there, you look at it, you take it in, but it really does make you think. Yeah, thank you. You know, um, I really do prioritize creating different uh, ways for, for someone to, or for myself and also, you know, others, you know, actually experiencing to basically have a, a variety of entry points into the work, you know, mm. it's not just one dimensional. Um, it speaks to you over and over again and in, in, in different, in different forms. Um, and that's what I require of myself. Um, it's not, it's not for everyone, but it's a requirement for me. Well, it, it's certainly working <laughs> and, <laughs> and you pulled it off because that's exactly what, what happened to me. I saw it, I stopped and like, oh my God, and start thinking about it. But this has been a wonderful conversation. I appreciate your time so much, Teresa. And thank yes. you. Yes, it was nice to talk, you know, last talk of 2020. And, and yeah, and, and the show that you're referring to at the Perez was actually in February. And that literally feels like it did not happen this year, which is 
insane. I know. I'm so glad I went. I'm so glad I went to that. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, that's the last that time was I was in Miami. The right, last hurrah. Exactly. Um, but we'll have a lot of hurrahs in a minute. I know. You know, this know. time next year, that's we're going to exactly. be celebrating life. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, yes, Phyllis, this was great. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.